Are either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Supersize this week in the screening room. Maybe not for the number of movies, but for the uh, size of the special effects. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. We are from madwolf.com. That's M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. And the Screening Room Podcast is sponsored by Marcus Crosswoods Theater. With a 70-foot-wide ultra screen featuring Dolby Atmos surround sound as well as those dream lounger recliners. Yeah, you might want to get the biggest screen for the biggest movie opening this weekend. This week, it's the latest in the Jurassic franchise, Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom. I know why we're here. A rescue op save the dinosaurs from an island that's about to explode. What could go wrong? Blue is alive. You raised her. Do these animals deserve the same protections given to other species? Or should they just be left to die? These creatures were here before us. And if we're not careful, they're going to be here after. Now, we were excited about this one once we found out. I think you knew it before I did. Once we found out who the director was. J.A. Bayona. And, uh, you know, it's possible not to know his work, but that would be unfortunate. So we saw him the first time that we saw one of his films was really his first feature from a few years back, The Orphanage. It's a Spanish-language horror film. It's brilliant. It's Loved amazing. It. And then his first American-language film English language film, excuse me, was The Impossible, yeah. that tsunami movie with, with Naomi Watts. Oh my and, God, yeah. and, and young Tom Holland, yeah. Spider Man. It really was good so movie. good. And it, the special effects were astonishing. Fantastic. And then he comes back with a, when a, mo- a monster calls. Oh my God. And that was, uh, that one, I was really surprised. I think that as much as that one slipped through the cracks, I think, yeah. for a lot of people. Because it was brilliant. really touching. Yeah. Really yes. touching. Uh, so we were excited, you know, I wasn't excited about this movie. Right. I seriously disliked the last one. Well, the last three, I guess. <laughs> um, and, and I wasn't excited about Fallen Kingdom until until we realized who the director was. And then my hopes got up a little bit. Yeah, because you look at his work and you think, okay, here's a visionary director. And maybe he can breathe some life into this franchise. Yes. And I think by the end of this one, we were just really... He can't. He can't. Uh, it's, it's a tough one. It's back when the dinosaurs are pretty much, you know, after the last mishap, after yeah. the last, uh, you know, set of, set of go-around for the uh, dinosaurs, they are kind of been left alone on the uh, Isla Nubar, which right, was the, the original... Where, yeah, where Jurassic World, the theme park, was. Right. But they're now threatening, they're now being threatened with extinction once again Mm -hmm. because of the volcano activity, volcanic activity, on that island. So that brings into play people who want to save them since they, you know, the movie tries to bring up some some ethical questions. Yes, it does. You know, and uh, part of the reason, part of the way that it does that is through Jeff Goldblum's character, Dr. Malcolm. He's back. He's not back for very long. No, he's not. But he's really the mouthpiece. He's testifying before a committee. And he just, the script lets him just bring up some of these ethical questions point blank. Sure. Then they play out by people feeling that, look, these beings, these animals, these dinosaurs are alive. If we can save some, it's our duty to Mm -hmm. do that. Mm -hmm. Not everybody agrees. Mm -hmm. 
So they find a, a possible path to doing that through the former partner of John Hammond, who was the original guy played by Richard Attenborough right, in the first, the first movie. One, sure. This time his, his former partner is played by James Cromwell. Always great. Always great to see. And he's some sort of billionaire, and he has an, an idea to save some of the species. And, as many as they can. Right, and put them on his, another private island, yeah. and just let them be. You know, this 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 planet Earth is apparently littered with private islands. <laughs> there are no, not, a, not a single human being lives there, nope. but they'll be able to sustain uh, dinosaurs. Right. This is at least the third such <laughs> island in this franchise. But at least his motivations, you get the idea that they're pure. They're somewhat Ooh, pure. Are they? But, yeah. But not everybody's motivations are so pure. There's no. always somebody else who's got another way to mm-hmm. either make money or get, you know, weaponize them sure. somehow. So there's all that stuff going on. Yep. And then you get uh, Claire Deering, Bryce Dallas Howard's character, is back. Yes. Um, and to everybody's delight, she's, she has better shoes. Yes. That was yes. the biggest thing from last it, time, I well, guess, wasn't it? I think it, it was just, it was just uh, the symbol of what was wrong with that character. Yeah. You know, the, I know you hated her I character hated in the last one. I hated her so much because, because everything that they did with that character was so appalling to me. She's got this severe haircut, and she's wearing a white dress, and she's got these high-heeled shoes on, and she's not paying any attention to her niece and nephew, and, and it isn't until this frigid woman is warmed up by a real man, played by Chris Pratt, yeah, that we, she finally sees the air in her waist. That it was, was almost that comical, was fresh really. in 1940. 19- 40. Yeah, it was almost comical the way they did that. Oh, so my God. She's got a better haircut. She's got uh, better shoes. And there's still some tension there between, because they get Chris Pratt, his character, his real man character is back. Right. Being uh, as, a real man, well. he's building a cabin. <laughs> yes, yes. By uh, hand. Right. So she gets him back in. So we're uh, trying to capture, then we're, we're back to the same old thing. We have to capture some of these dinosaurs and then transport them to this new island. Do you think some are going to get loose? Do you think someone is going to intervene and have a, a sinister kind of a sinister motivations for these dinosaurs? I think so. That's the thing, is that there's not a single fresh idea in this entire film. Right. That's really the biggest problem. Yeah. You know, um, uh, it's there. so much of this is cribbed from the second film, which is one of the well, stinkier. Now, now er, <laughs> one of the stinkier. <laughs> Early on, there are a couple of direct homages to yeah. the very first Jurassic and, Park and, film. And fun ones. And you fun know, ones. Yeah. And I thought, okay, then they start to go a little bit overboard. Right. You know, there's too many. Now we're just, we're pushing the envelope right. a little bit. I mean, bit. It, really, it's, it's, it's so much of just exactly the same. It's so much of, oh, and, and now they've mixed bred this version of a dinosaur with that. Oh, we can't do that. That's the most dangerous thing man's ever known. And yeah. also, let's give it another weird name that sounds like a roller coaster name. It's just it is, it it's does, disappointing. It it's does just, feel, feel stale. And also, early on, too, the writing is pretty clunky. Yes. I mean, I don't know if there's it's some of those occasions where they're trying to get a new catchphrase or something, but that's what it sounds yeah, like. Yeah. Like, was that meant to be like a, a big dramatic type of declarative piece of dialogue? Because it just, you know what it doesn't sound like? Anything a human would say. That's exactly right. So there's there's clunky dialogue. But then, okay, we're here for the action, right? We're here for the dinosaurs. One thing I will say that you might want to think about the little kids on this yeah. one. Because <laughs> there's some more carnage in yes. this episode yeah, yeah. than the others. Yeah. If your kid is up for that, fine. If not, just be warned that there's some more chomping of humans going on and, and limbs being yeah. strewn about yes. in this one. But, okay, so we get to the dinosaur action, and there is that. But by the time it gets to, 
I'm not going to say half, at least the third act. I mean, all rhyme and reason is right out the window. I mean, it just gets more and more ridiculous and just tries to throw everything at you. And anything that we had hoped for with this director is just, it almost sounds like, it almost feels like he threw up his hands as well. And just said, okay, here, just have it all. Have it all. It's summer. This is a big blockbuster. Have it. Yeah. You're right. There's no rhyme or reason to the action in the third act. It's it's bedlam, which can be okay, except how, you know, there's there's one you'll recognize. I and mean, one of the maybe most famous sequences from the original is is lifted directly for this movie. And then so often you find yourself saying, why haven't you climbed that ladder yet? Why haven't you closed that door yet? Why are you slowly turning your head? Nobody slowly turns their head when they think that there's a 19-foot predator behind them. You move quickly. <laughs> yeah, I think the best way to describe it is something you alluded to earlier. It's just For a new installment, it, just, it instantly feels stale. It does. Um, even if, and, and even one thing that we always talk about, and, and not just us, one thing that a lot of people talk about when thinking about the first Jurassic Park is looking back that many years ago, how great the effects Amazing. still look. Really, truly. They still yes. hold up yeah. so, so mm-hmm. well. And these, comparatively, they're okay, yeah. but it's still, it's nothing is, is fresh about it. No. And I guess this is, I think there's at least one more coming. Yes. Because the Jurassic World franchise, the reboot, was meant to be, I a guess, trilogy. a trilogy. And this is the middle part, so... We shall see. Well, but... as, as this film ends, you can see where the next one is going oh, yes. to go. Yeah. Very much so, yeah. So we'll, we'll find out where, where they go next. But uh, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom kind of felt a little stale for us. Next up is one that has a familiar actor playing against type. It's the story of a Major League Baseball player who lives a double life working for the Office of Strategic Services called The Catcher Was a Spy. You're an unusual man, Mr. Bird. Speaks seven languages. You're an athlete. You're more than up to the physical requirements of the job. What job? Since this war began, we have reason to believe the Germans are working on a fission bomb. Scientists leading their atomic program is Werner Heisenberg. We must get to him and find out how close the Germans are to a bomb. Welcome to the OSS, Mr. Berg. This is Paul Rudd with a starring role, and not the kind of a role that we really expect from Paul Rudd. He's one of those guys that's just always likable. Yeah, he is. He's very likable. But obviously, we're more used to him in big-budget comedies. Yeah, and even when he's taken... Well, of course, now he's into the superhero game. You know, he's Ant-Man, and he's become... It's still a big-budget comedy. Ant-Man is still... (laughs) And Well, and it kind of rests on his persona that he's already, you know crafted through these roles right you know sometimes he can be i I personally like him when he's mean funny yeah you know (laughs) like 40 year old virgin or or role models yeah oh so funny when he's really snarky funny but uh but he's good all the time and this one is just different because it's a throwback it's a period piece but it's a true story one i wasn't aware of and it's a fascinating story of a guy named mo berg who was a real life a baseball player in the years before world war ii he played about 15 years uh, in the major leagues as a catcher, and he wasn't he wasn't a superstar. But obviously, if you're going to last 15 years, you got to be pretty good. But he had some other very valuable talents, especially when the war was over. Right, well, because he was a Princeton grad, Princeton grad, many languages, m- multiple degrees. He he spoke six, seven, eight languages, and he was a very private person. 
And as the uh, movie points out, he was an, an enigma. And the movie tells you that, which, you know, usually you like to be shown rather yeah, than just, told. Yeah. But the nice thing about it is Rudd's performance is such that even though you're told it, you do feel it. Mm. You know, this character just just a little step out, a little, little bit out of place everywhere. And you, you get the feeling that that might have been by his own design. I mean... They allude to the fact that he might have been bisexual. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a long-time affair with a woman here played by Sienna Miller. Who's always good. Always good. Um, and he just had things where he was just a little bit different from, from everybody else. His, his intellect, number one. <laughs> uh, and, you know, he went on quiz shows of the day. Wow. And he would get right to the point of, you know, pe- wanting people to know him and notice him. And then, no. Then not so much. But once his uh, playing career ended, he kind of he took a an office job and just didn't didn't stimulate him enough mm-hmm. so uh, through a friend of a friend he had a contact the, at the OSS which was the forerunner of the CIA sure and he got hired on because of these very valuable assets you know the language is number one right speaking all these different languages and the fact that he was very intelligent athletic athletic right. and he was very discreet you know mm-hmm. he knew how to keep secrets so not only did they put him to work he got the assignment of assassinating the German physicist who was in charge of the German nuclear program. Wow. That's a big assignment. Yeah. Uh, they thought that the Germans were going to get the bomb before we did, and that scientist is played by Mark Strong. Another solid good. you know, piece of supporting casting. In fact, the whole supporting cast here, you've got... Paul Giamatti. Paul Giamatti. Isn't it Jeff Daniels? Nice. Guy Pierce. Yes. You know, and everybody's... Yes, yes, yes. Every, All of exactly. those people. Yeah. And everybody's solid. It's directed by Ben Lewin, who directed The Sessions. Few right, years back. Yeah, yeah. You know, and the spy game part of it is very, very by the numbers. It's satisfactory, but it's nothing new. I mean, you hear the the uh, voiceovers of the newsreel footage right, to get us sure. up to date. Okay, the shadowy figures, you know, in a doorway or in an alley. The, the spy part of it, even though it's a, a really fascinating story because it's true, um, is pretty much standard. But what I think, what I really liked about it was the characterizations. Not only Paul Rudd, but the supporting characters that we talked about. And they really elevate the script. It's written by Robert Rodad. Well, it's adapted. It's adapted from a book. The scriptwriter is Robert Rodad, who uh, wrote Saving Private Ryan, wow. among other things. So they're able to really make you feel these characters. And I think it gets you as close enough to Berg as, as feels right. Right. Because anything more would feel... To me, it would feel... You should feel like you're kept at arms, because he would have kept you at arms length. He kept everyone there. Exactly right. He kind of was a mystery by design, even Mm -hmm. though he was very committed, according to this book, very committed to helping his country, then the life he led after the war. Mm -hmm. Still very, you know, very out of step with the rest of society, but still making an incredible contribution after his playing career was over. So I think that's what elevates the movie, the, the characterization, some of the writing, and how you're able to get inside... This one guy in particular, and a few people of uh, a few people that were ar- around him, to tell this story that you probably don't know about. Oh, sure. That is pretty fascinating. So uh, we would recommend The Catcher Was a Spy. Another based on true events uh, movie is next. This one takes a little bit different approach to tell the story of four young men who mistake their lives for a movie and attempt one of the most audacious heists in U.S. history. It's called American Animals. You ever feel like you're waiting for something to happen, but you don't know what it is? You're in, or you're out. That thing that could make your life special. You're in, or you're out. 
how can I tell you if I'm in or I'm out without you telling me the first thing about what I might be in or out of? This would be something dangerous and very exciting. This library is home to the most valuable book in the United States. $12 million. You really need to see how easy this is going to be. Oh, you know this from all your previous heists? Here's another one we were excited for, for two reasons. Number one, uh, the cast is great. It's a bunch of just young actors that we're very excited to see whatever they do, in particular for for me, uh, anyway, Barry Keegan, who was in... Killing of a Killing Sacred, of a sacred deer, deer and also Dunkirk. Dunkirk. Yeah. So he's awesome. We were also excited because of the, the director. director. Yeah. yeah. guy named Bart Layton. And if you haven't even heard of, or if you haven't seen... The documentary, The Imposter. Oh, you should. Uh, just do it. It's from a few years ago, and we always tell this story. I was watching it at home. I think they sent me a screener. They did. They sent something. you a screener. You were going to review it. Yeah. And, uh, and you and went in the shower. You... I, I intended to. Yeah. I had in, I had no intention of watching the movie because I had other stuff to do, and I saw about 30 seconds of it, sat down, and watched the whole thing. You I, can't turn I think away from in it. in a towel. I think most yeah. of the time you yeah. just sat there. You yeah, So anyway, we're getting off this stuff, but The Imposter, see it. Your jaw will be on the floor throughout the entire story. Uh, so he's back with this one. And this is not a documentary, but it has kind of a weird, you know, art imitates life, imitates yeah. art kind of a feel about Very it. Very much. So, uh, you know, The Imposter is a true crime story. And so he's, so Bart Lane is back to another true crime story. And while this is a narrative film with actors, it's not just recreations, it's a narrative film, he plays with that idea a lot and sort of the idea of, of, uh, how everybody's individual perspective of an event changes the truth behind the event. Yeah. A lot of films have done that. Stories We Tell is a documentary. The whole focus is that. Sarah Polly, it's a brilliant movie. That's a good one, too. And yeah. I, Tanya, recently did it. It's a true crime event, and they show it from different perspectives. So he's, you know, it's not an incredibly new idea, but what he does that's interesting is um, you see a lot of the film as a traditional narrative film, and then you stop and talk to one of the four actual participants from the heist originally. Yeah. So it's almost like if you would have put the real Tanya Harding in I, Tanya. Right. They don't do that, no. but they do that here. Yes. And and most of the time, it's it's not part of a scene. They stop a scene and they, they talk to one of the participants. But in one particular instance, which is very, very interesting... A, an event is being shown to you basically from two different people's points of view. And that happens several times in the movie and is fascinating. But in one case, then the actor, Evan Peters, and the, the man he's playing, they're both sitting in a car together. And the actor asks the man, is this how you saw it? And the man says, well, if that's how Spencer sees it, just go with it. <laughs> so there's a lot. And I liked that. But my problem with this movie and it's fairly minor. But my problem with this movie is that I don't feel like Leighton decided exactly the direction he was going to take it. Because that, that idea of different versions of the truth and how it the affects... The Rashomon type yes, of effect. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's, that's, that's very interesting. And, and it has been done before and done well. But I thought it was an interesting way to go. The problem is then part way through it, and the, I think the, the title, American Animals, that gives you a sense, too, of what he's doing... He's really looking at these four young men who had no reason to risk everything on this adventure. No reason. Right. They all they were what fine. They're, what they're doing, they're stealing. They're trying to steal valuable books. Audubon's right? Birds of America and and uh, Darwin's Ori Origins Origin. of the Species. Yeah. Uh, so the original manuscripts are, are kept at the Transylvania University's uh, Rare Books Collection. <laughs> and so these four guys, these four you know college students, just decide, had to plan to mm -hmm. steal it. 
steal these books, which are worth, I think they said, it, it, like $36 million together. That's how much copy they stole. Yeah, so you look at these entitled college students and you feel like it's just it's it's entitlement run amok like we have to matter somehow that's it that's exactly i think the interesting point that he tries to make is that there's no reason for these four young men to do it they do it because they have been told since birth that they're special and they're starting to recognize that they're really not so they need to do something to make them believe they are special which is in a very i think american Kind of yeah, restlessly entitled perspective, mm-hmm. and and I and and I think that's probably the direction that the film should have taken more of, because by the end, you you wonder to yourself, well, that was an interesting story, and that was kind of fun while it lasted, but what was the point? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's still enjoyable. Yeah. With a couple of nitpicks, uh, we would recommend American Animals, and one more in limited release this week. It's a story of a woman at rock bottom finding her way across L.A. in order to crash her ex-boyfriend's engagement party. It's called Izzy Gets the F Across Town. Uh, where are we? In an apartment. And how did I get here? I don't know. Who are you? I'm Izzy. This is one that you and I didn't get a chance to review. Matt Weiner reviewed it for Mad Wolf and liked it very much. And you can tell right off the, the top of things that it, first of all, has a great supporting cast. And so it's it's more or less a road movie, although she is on a bicycle yeah, more the lead, than anything. The lead is played by Mackenzie Davis, who, if you saw Tully, oh. and you should, she played Tully yeah, very just impressive. a few months ago with Charlize Theron. So very impressive. Yeah, you've got, she's the lead, but a, a lot of people, Carrie Coon, Lakeith Stansfield from Get Out, yep. even Haley Joel Osment pops up. Annie as, Potts. Yeah, Annie Potts, as Izzy goes, gets the F across town on her way to her, her boyfriends and meets all these different people. And I think one of the things that Matt, our writer, right. l- liked about it was that, yes, it serves up cliches, but it does that only to destroy, destroy them. them. Yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, and the whole thing, I mean, everything that you might be expecting to see, they know it, they tell you that, and then they upend it. Um, and, and the performances are great, and it's fun and funny and surprising, and he really, really liked it. He really liked it, and you can get his entire written review, again, on our website at madwolf.com. Let's find out what's new on home video. Let's go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Out this week is one that just uh, stirred one of my secret fears, maybe not so secret fears, Unsane, where she's locked up in a mental hospital against her will. Ah! Yeah, it's funny because uh, I, I was very excited to see this movie because, first of all, it's a horror film, which is my favorite, and second of all, Steven Soderbergh. And, and you know, he's got a, as many misses as he has hits, but he's always worth seeing, this director. And uh, I was surprised that you didn't want to see it at all. And that's really why. <laughs> it's one of those it, things, yeah. it taps one of those fears for you. But I liked it very much. It's got a lot uh, going for it that is somewhat traditional, especially if you watch many horror films. It's that, you know, you, you've got yourself locked up in a mental institution against your will and you can't get out because nobody's listening to you because everybody thinks you're crazy, which right. is the fear, right? Right. Claire Foy plays the woman who is locked up. She's wonderful all the time. Uh, and, and for most of the film, you're not sure either whether she's nuts or whether she's 
seeing what she thinks she's seeing. And for a lot of the films, she doesn't know either. It's very effectively directed uh, to to generate a great deal of tension. The performances are great. Soderbergh filmed the whole thing on iPhones. And while that sounds gimmicky, it does give you this ugly, weird visual that very much suits the effort of a person who's institutionalized yeah. and might be crazy. So it's it's tense and unusual, uh, but but really good. Yeah, you get the feeling that Soderbergh just said, you know what? I want to make a genre film, and just for the, the thrills of this type of genre film, and went for it. So Unsane is out this week. And one that I loved, one of my favorite movies of the year is out on video, and it's called The Death of Stalin, and it's just freaking hilarious. It uses a great ensemble cast, none of them even attempting a Russian accent whatsoever, <laughs> taking you back to really cover a, a, a pretty brutal time in history, uh, starting with... Well, the time, the few days right before uh, the death of Joseph Stalin and what happens afterwards. And it's it's done by the guy who did, uh, it, his name is uh, Armando Iamucci. He did In the Loop. He's written for Veep. I mean, this guy, especially with this movie, has established himself as a premier satirist. Yes. I mean, this is satire. Political satire, political satire yeah. to me of the highest order. Everybody's great. It's really often hilarious and definitely recommend the death of Stalin. Check it out. There are a couple that we can't recommend, however. <laughs> Pacific Rim Uprising. Uh, one of the one of the times when we went, oh, they're making a sequel to that. I guess Pacific Rim made enough money. That's Obviously, funny, it wasn't we a very so, good movie. No, it was it was uh, Del Toro. Yeah, and one of his really few very bad efforts. Yeah, stinkers. And this one is just even worse. But uh, he's not involved, so you he's know it's not involved. Be worse. But it is. Yeah, it's even worse. And uh, Pacific Rim Uprising. And another one, and this is a smaller film that's out, uh, Home Entertainment this week, called Flower. And it's one, again, we didn't review it. Alex Ediburn reviewed it for us. And it turns out to be a lot like a lot of other sort of subversive teen comedies. Think Juno, for example, super bad. For example, only that the lead character is morally bankrupt, in no way likable. There's no way that you can be rooting for this person. And and uh, and what it is that they're trying to do is... is... So it's not really a black comedy and... It, it, it is pretty derivative and unpleasant, and he definitely doesn't recommend it. Yeah, I think it. the main thing about it has going for it is the uh, lead performance, Zoe Deutsch, yeah. uh, Leah Thompson's daughter, yep. who is really coming. He's getting a lot yes. of nice notices for a lot of different films uh, these days. Is probably the main reason to check out that movie called Flower out on video this week. Uh, looking ahead to next week, one that, speaking of movies we're looking forward to, this is one, Sicario, Day of the Soldado. Cannot wait. Written by the same guy that wrote uh, the original Sicario. And, and also, also Hell or High Water. Yeah, and great, oh, yeah. great writer, Taylor Sheridan. Now, the first Sicario was written by, uh, was directed by Denis Villeneuve. Great. Awesome. But this one has a good director, too. Stefano Solima, who directed a movie called... Gamora. Gamora, a few years ago. I apologize. And it was nominated for Best Foreign Language Film, and it was brilliant. You loved it, yeah. And so I'm very excited to see what he can do with this. Yeah, so that is next week. Also, Uncle Drew, Kyrie Irving. We have a love-hate relationship with Kyrie Irving. Because we're Cavs fans. Loves that he Love that he hit that shot that gave us a championship. Hate that he wanted to leave. But right. we'll try to uh, be open-minded. We will. And also on next week's podcast, we got something special. That's right. We are going to, it's halfway through 2018, believe it or not. Can you believe that? So we are going to weigh in on the best films so far this yeah, year. Yeah, the midway point of 2018. What are our favorite movies so far? So we'll talk about that next week, too. Until then, let us know what you think about Jurassic World. You loved it. You want to fight with us. That's fine. That is fine. Get in touch. Easiest way is on Twitter. 
We're at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. And of course, on Facebook and Instagram, it's Mad Wolf Columbus. As we've said, the main website is madwolf.com. Love to have you check in. And uh, until next week, the Screening Room Podcast is a presentation of the Columbus Radio Group and sponsored by Marcus Crosswoods Theater. She's Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.